Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. This is the fourth episode in our series highlighting each of the nine Enneagram numbers, their gifts, and their challenges in relationships. These weeks are leading up to the release of my new book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships. Published by InterVarsity Press, it will be available April the 10th. You can pre-order now at ivpress.com or Amazon. My guest today is Rose Estes, who is a four on the Enneagram. She and her husband, Webb, who is a six, have two beautiful little girls. Rose talks about being a four in ways that are far more beautiful and nuanced than I ever could. Rose, welcome to the Enneagram Journey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have an opportunity to visit with you for a while for a lot of reasons. One is because you're a four on the Enneagram, and I think fours are the most complex and the most misunderstood number. And you're pretty articulate about your fourness, which will be helpful to everybody. I'm interested in talking about relationships because that's a big thing for me, and it's a big thing for fours, so that's a good topic for us to work with. I know about you that you're married to a six, and that you all have two little girls, and one of them is brand new. How old is she? She just turned six months old. Yeah, so she's got here. And I know that uh, you live in the South. Did you grow up in the South? I did grow up in the South. Uh, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, Yeah, which is sort of uh, an interesting mix of Southern and people from all over because it's the largest naval base um, on the East Coast. So people from all over. So a lot of Southern influence, but a lot of other influence too. Was that helpful to you, do you think, in the desire to be uh, unique? Yeah, I think I encountered a lot of variety and diversity in Mm -hmm. my upbringing, which I value greatly. And I think think that probably did contribute a lot to um, there being a widespread, uh, everyone didn't look the same Mm -hmm. in my life. And I think there's probably some good in that for me as a Mm -hmm. four. And then probably even more of a desire to stand on my own. Yeah. When you first learned the Enneagram, did you know you were a four right away? No, I definitely didn't. Um, I thought I was a two for a while. I did the 12-week DVD curriculum, and I thought, well, that feeling thing, that sure is me, and that relationship thing, that sure is me, um, I am a two for sure. And we finished the 12 weeks, and I was still a two, and my mother-in-law, who was leading the course, um, is a two, mm-hmm. and I began to notice little places where we were different, and I couldn't quite understand those differences, and so I was, I was trying to do that non-judgmental self-observation, and that felt very, um, I didn't quite know what that looked like, but I was trying to do it, and then these moments would just hit me of, oh, that's something to pay attention to. Um, And most of those were around being authentic. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that was something unique about me and and particular to my number. Um, So I remember talking to my mother-in-law and saying, you know, when I'm having people over for dinner, I really want my house to be clean and look nice. But I kind of don't want it to be too clean because that's not who I am. And I don't want to misrepresent myself when Mm -hmm. people come over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and I have this sort of like really thick, wild, frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would get it like blown out and straightened. It would look so put together. And I always felt like I had to confess to people. People, oh, your hair looks so lovely. And I would have to immediately confess like, oh, but it doesn't usually look this way. This isn't really who I am. And so I think it's real important for us to note that that's not self-deprecating. It's an authenticity piece. So it's not saying, oh, I really don't have beautiful hair. It's saying, oh, this is my hair after I've spent a lot of time on it. The authentic me. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big, important piece because we put on other people what we do. And I think there's a whole thing around us thinking fours are being hard on themselves when actually they're doing what they value the most, which is being authentic about themselves. Yeah. Completely different thing. And I feel like when I, in in the healthiest space, when I am being authentic in that, I feel like I connect with people. It's an attempt to connect with people better. And, um, and some, when I'm doing it in a way that is healthy, I feel like it does help me connect with people better. Uh-huh. And then when I'm not, it looks self-deprecating. Oh, interesting. That's really a good point. Yeah. You're married to a six. I am. Y'all are pretty different. Yeah, before we knew the Enneagram, we said many times that we'd never met anyone who was so like us. Like, we felt so perfectly suited for one another mm-hmm. in values, in the way that we looked at the world, in the way that we... Um, valued people and relationship. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And then we studied the Enneagram Mm -hmm. and I finally understood how different we are. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because those two numbers come together being pretty open or are fairly malleable to, well, I like this kind of home, but I like this kind too. Or I really like this kind of food, but I also like this. Do you think in accommodating one another, because you're both accommodating for the sake of relationship, mm-hmm. fours and sixes both do that, mm-hmm. that you lost your awareness of your differences until it was pointed out to you? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. And I think, you know, when you're um, wooing each other and deep yeah. in love, mm-hmm. you're very happy to accommodate. Right. And that feels very loving and uh, and good to please the other person, mm-hmm. especially as a four and a six. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, we joke that we had friends who got married and said, well, never before did I realize how selfish I was until I got married. And we were like, no, being married is great. We love it. We just, like, have fun together. We love, you know, the biggest argument is, like, where do we want to go out for a date mm-hmm. tonight? Mm-hmm. And then we had children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were like, oh, no. This is where the selfishness comes in because one of us gets to sleep tonight and one of us doesn't. Yeah. And so there's less room for accommodating when it's um, when you're tired, when you're really tired. So would you be willing to talk about two ways that you and Weber are the same as a four and a six and two ways that you're very different? Sure. The first way, the immediate way I think of is that I, I think he is even better at this than I am. But I think we both we both see people who don't feel included. Mm-hmm. 
And I think he does it because of the common good piece of a six. And he wants to bring people in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I do it because I feel people's pain or brokenness. Mm-hmm. or I, I can pick up on that. And so I, th- I think that's a place where um, we really value seeing people and including people mm-hmm. um, where they are. And one way we're very different is that he is like Mr. Practical, Mr. Efficient, um, and I am like head in the clouds, fantasizing about how beautiful something could be and romanticizing what an experience is going to be like. And so my expectations are up here in this fantasy world mm-hmm. and his feet are on the ground thinking about like what is the most practical way to achieve what we're trying to do right now. And how does that affect parenting? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think um, our first daughter was not a very good sleeper. And so it was a lot of waking up in the night. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that created a lot of resentment for me which I, th- I, think, um, I think I'm very prone to. And, and maybe the better word is martyring, um, that I could very easily have this beautiful picture of what parenthood would be like, but at 3 a.m. when I'm like just exhausted and I know that I have to get up and I'm still going to be with the baby all day the next day because I'm a stay-at-home mom and change all the diapers and do all the food and go to the bathroom with someone on my hip, Mm-hmm. And know that he could go to work and unplug from that and just be him. Mm-hmm. Um, not walk around with this just identity of parent. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of um, frustration in that for me. Like, you can unplug and go be you and have some privacy, some independence. And I feel like I've lost all that. And I don't know if I'll ever get it back. That's sort of what it felt like in the moment for me. That's such an interesting thing for you to talk about. Because fours so long for connection and relationship. So that is something I've never heard a force say, which would make me think that connection and relationship for you, and you surely correct me if I'm wrong, is so intense that you have to have a break from it. Do you mean like with my children? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially in a relationship with a newborn, Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I so desperately want to be known, and my, like, two-month-old wasn't asking me, like, how are you feeling today, Mom? Yeah. And so I I love being needed by her, Mm -hmm. but but when I feel the need to, like, be known and to, I mean, there are so many emotions and thoughts swirling, there are so many emotions and thoughts about those emotions swirling in my head Mm -hmm. all the time. And when you're just home with a baby, there's no space for expressing that. And so so that's not, I didn't think that was a very good place for me. Um, how old are you? 33. Okay, and I'm 67. I'm so happy as a woman to hear young mothers feel like they have the freedom to be honest about what it costs them. My generation covered all that. I too had those feelings, but I covered them. We didn't we didn't say that. And the generation before mine didn't say anything. Hmm. <laughs> so that's an evolving thing 
that I think is so necessary. I think what is said is much more helpful if it comes through Enneagram wisdom. Hmm. Because then it's said in a way that explains who you are as opposed to who the baby's mother is. Hmm. And that's a real important distinction. This is hard for me because I'm this number and I can't fulfill any of the fantasy, the things that go through my head right now because this is my role right now. Mm-hmm. So in relationship to that, let's talk about fours and roles. How has your role changed and your perception of your role changed in the last 10 years? I know that's a big question. If you can put yourself 10 years ago and think about what your role in life was and what your place in the world was sure, as a 23-year-old four, <laughs> as opposed to a 33-year-old four, what does that look like? Yeah. So at 23, I was, I can't do the math right, my husband could, but I was finishing college, I think. Uh-huh. And the world was my oyster. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of excitement over, like I thought everyone just asked like, oh, what is my, what's my purpose? Like what, who am I going to be? And that's sort of a question I've always asked myself. And have wondered, like, as if there is this thing I will get to one day that is... Who you're meant to who be. Who I'm meant to be. Yeah. And you um, know that's a very four question. I have learned that. Yeah. yeah. And it's... But it, like, still surprises me when other people don't mm-hmm. think that way. Um, but college is a great place where I think there's a lot of asking that question. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of excitement over that. And a lot of... Especially in college, I could really live into the fantasy of, well, I could go pursue this or I could go pursue that. And, you know, there was a season where I was sure I was going to move to India for a while and do that. And there was a season where I thought I was going to, um, should I could sort of see myself in any number of places. Um, and I think as I've matured, instead of, um, I began to hone down, okay, like, I don't want to go be a CEO in corporate America. Mm-hmm. That's not there was a time where I could fantasize about what that would be like, but that's not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Versus today where um, all of that feels much more narrow. Um, and when, I, when I'm when i in an unhealthy place as a mom or as four, I want to go look up job openings or think about what job would be great or fitting. Versus when I'm healthy and I can feel contentment in, in being in this role, but being able to say... This is a season of my life. Mm-hmm. And and I think because it's a very, rela- I think of it as a very relational role. And I don't know if every number does right. as a mom. Right, right. But um, I think I have great responsibility in caring for that and maintaining the relationships I have with my children. So does that feel freeing or limiting? I think it feels both. I think... There's a, I have a great opportunity to help shape my children see the world in terms of caring for people, in terms of caring for... They're going to be shaped by the things that I see and do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think that's a real gift. Sure, me too. So a generational difference for us is when I was your age and mothering... 
most women stayed home or stay at home moms and a few women worked Mm -hmm. and there was the tension, Mm -hmm. but there was an apologetic sense in those days of I'm a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. There was an apologetic sense of I'm a working mom because the standard or the norm was I'm a stay at home mom. Now the norm is I'm a working mom. Right. Do you feel any tension with that? And does it feel like it's a season of your life or do you feel like you've made kind of a a decision? Yeah, I feel so before I stopped working, I was a social worker, which I was very proud of. Mm-hmm. And I worked with an agency that helped survivors of human trafficking. Okay. And that is a very hot topic, and so it was a very sexy thing to get to tell people. Mm-hmm. And I kind of loved that. Yeah. And so when I... Um, and, and, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but and, and that's purpose. And that's purpose. That's, that's that fourth thing of this is my purpose. This matters. Yes. And I get to do it. Yeah. Um, for sure. And when I um, started to step down, I sort of did it in stages. Mm-hmm. So I worked part-time, a little more part-time. And I think I did that for a long time to just hold on. I didn't want to just be, being a stay-at-home mom felt normal. Mm-hmm and boring, mm-hmm. and um, giving up this part of myself that I didn't want to. It felt very normal. And so I think I held on to that for a long time, not because I even felt like I was, I, I felt like I was losing my role, but I so desperately didn't want to have to answer people and say, I'm a stay-at-home mom. What do you do now for f- filling in that uniqueness that, that you had that was special. I do this for these women, and this is this is great. And now you're in the ordinary stay-at-home mom. What is there something that's filling that filled role. that need? Yeah, um, I th- I think studying the enneagram has been a big piece of that for me, um, and I am so thankful to have a six husband who's looking at the common good of our family and says, "Yeah, you can go." to Dallas four times in the next year mm-hmm. and do that because you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have gotten really involved in a mom's group, which I say out loud and I always want to qualify with, but it's not like a normal, boring mom's group. It's a beautiful, diverse place that I don't think a lot of moms have access to where people are very real about mm-hmm. their brokenness and their struggle in motherhood. And as a four, I love being in that place and sitting with moms in the struggle That's really big for me. I want to make sure that people who don't know the Enneagram well know that when you say normal, you mean average and boring. Like when you say it's kind of normal, you're saying it's kind of average and boring. Because fours don't like anything that's normal or anything that's average. I also want to put a qualifier on all of this. I worked really hard as a stay-at-home mom when I was one. I'm not talking about you work if you leave the home and you don't work if you stay home. I... I, I think people know me well enough to know that. But that's, everybody's working. Sure. And everybody is sacrificing. Right. There's a sacrifice on both sides. I think it is um, interesting to think about uh, a dependent six and a withdrawing four who um, have opportunity who choose a lot of, you two choose a lot of day-to-day normal life. You would say normal. Mm-hmm. Other people would say average. Yes. 
Why, is that an intentional choice? Like, have y'all said, this is how we're going to do our family? Mm-hmm. Or has that, have you fallen into that pattern? I think it's a very intentional choice. Because our lives could look very differently than they do. I th- So as a four, I can do two things in average. I can resent it the whole time I'm there mm-hmm. and constantly notice what or think about what I wish was happening instead. Mm-hmm. I wish I was sitting in a coffee shop in Paris right now. Mm-hmm. And I can just like be in my home and also be in Paris. Or you do know that most numbers wouldn't choose a coffee shop in Paris, right? <laughs> I, I, I do because I'm married to a that's, six. That's right. Who, when I ask him, you know, if you could choose any vacation in the world, and he says, I would, I would pick Virginia Beach, Virginia, which uh-huh. is like this little beach town two hours from us. Yes. And I'm like, no, I said in the whole world. You weren't listening. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so that, I can do that when I'm... You know, female four is kind of like all things French. <laughs> they like lavender and purple and French. Yeah. It's uh-huh. fascinating. Yes, yes. So it's a tricky um, conversation when one person wants to go to Paris mm-hmm. and want, wants to get in the car and load up and drive two hours away where we could come right back home if we just needed to. Right, right. right. What other things are tricky for you and Webb? So I think a lot of it... And he's a phobic six. That's an important thing to say. Yes. Yes. So I think um, you talk a lot about how expectation is resentment waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I think this is number specific to me, but when there is something that frustrates me in our relationship, it usually has to do with me feeling very emotional about things. And he's usually at work, and so I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And I can just kind of stew on that all day. And try to dissect, how do I really feel about that? Is that okay for me to feel that way? And by the time he gets home, I will have gone through um, the argument that I want to have like a hundred times. And sometimes it's I'm justified. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's justified and I'm just, how could I have not seen that? And so he comes home and I've like already been whipped up for uh-huh. a very long time and he steps in the house and is like oh I can tell something mm-hmm. isn't right mm-hmm. I mean I don't have a clue how to play, what my role is in this mm-hmm. and what is his role like if you could say this is your role and I'd like for you to learn to do it really well what would that be it would be to come and to just say to me I can tell something's wrong can you tell me what's wrong? So he doesn't have to fix it? No. Oh, no, he better not try to fix it. Okay, talk about that more. <laughs> well, I mean, if I've been stewing on it for four hours and haven't been able to fix it, mm-hmm. it feels silly to think he could come in and fix it. Mm-hmm. Does I, it, does it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. does it also feel dismissive? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think for twos and fours, Mm -hmm. when people fix something that we feel strongly about in a paragraph, (laughs) it feels dismissive. Oh, it feels so dismissive. And, uh, I mean, I have a feeling and then I think about it and then I have another feeling and then I think about it and then I have an... It's almost like I can try on Mm -hmm. feelings Mm -hmm. and then see how they feel. Um, So, 
Uh, I, this isn't always the right approach, but I always want to take him through what each of those things felt like. Mm -hmm. And so the work for me is to figure out how much of that to expect and to ask of him to be present for. Um, And probably the work for him is to say, well, I I think that's a lot, right? So he comes in and he can tell I'm a swirl of emotions. And for a phobic six, that's probably a little intimidating. Yes. Um, And so his job is to still come and be with me. Mm -hmm. And my job is to bring him in but not drown him in Mm -hmm. the water of my Mm -hmm. emotions. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've spent almost seven years figuring out how to do that dance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're still figuring it out for sure. My parents were not a four and a six, but when I was a kid, um, I can remember my dad, who was a one, coming home and saying, I'm going to come home a little early and kind of work on some of my fishing equipment. And my mother could literally turn to me and say, and she was a five, she could turn to me and say, we're probably leaving town in the next 24 to 36 hours. So you need to kind of get ready for that. Because she could read him that well mm-hmm. after 40, 45 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 years then, probably. So how do you read Webb? I, I don't think it's easy to read sixes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, he has one tell that I've realized. He bites his nails. Ah. Uh-huh. And before we knew the Enneagram, I think, I would see him do it. And I could... I would grab his hand and say, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. So, something's bothering you. Mm-hmm. And there was always something with work or a relationship. And the, it was physically manifesting in that. And maybe there's another tell. He sometimes talks in his sleep. Mm-hmm. And when work got really stressful, he would talk about work in his sleep. I can mm-hmm. hear him talking about trucks. And I was like, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> Some, trouble. Something's not good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So what's an appropriate way to respond to that in a six? So I think that um, it took sitting with the Enneagram for a while to see the fear in Webb, to see his fear. Mm-hmm. We did not know that he was mm-hmm. a six. We didn't know that there was fear. And then once we began to see it, we realized that it was everywhere. Do you think we don't see it in sixes because it's everywhere? Like, do you think it's easier for us to point out fear in other numbers because there's a, there's a, a mm-hmm. moment or a spike and you think, oh, they're worried about, they're afraid of something. But because it's always there, do you think that's why we don't see it? I am thinking about that. Um, and did he know that he was? Well, he see. If, even if y'all didn't? He did not know it. He did not know it. And so I think for him, it was the water he was swimming in. It was mm-hmm. everywhere, and so he didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know why I didn't see it, but then once we started noticing things here or there, um, like he shared with our group, and I think he'd be fine with me sharing, that every time he deposits a check at the bank, he leaves being a little bit afraid or asking, what would I do if the teller who now has access to my account went in and wiped out my account? Mm -hmm. And Things he kind that of the rest set, of us don't think about. Right. He shared that with the group. And he was like, but, you know, the that sort of question. And everyone in the group was like, no, we've never questioned that. Right. Um, and so we began to see it everywhere. Um, and I think um, I think there's part of him that keeps that guarded as a six. Mm-hmm. And do you think that has to do with being a male phobic six? 
That probably does. I mean, you have a little bit more strength when you choose what you're disclosing and mm-hmm. not. That's sort of a, that can be a power move in yeah. some ways, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I've always taught that I think twos and fours, male twos and fours, I think there's a little bit of a gender difference there in terms of how the the whole community experiences them as more tender. Mm-hmm. But it occurs to me after 25 years for the first time right this minute that that might be true for male phobic sixes too, that it's, it's not culturally appropriate to let people know that you're afraid or that you worry about things like that. So they've learned to hide all of that. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't see it, mm-hmm. right? And I think maybe spin it. Um, I think we always said he was such a good analyzer uh-huh. and questioner. Mm-hmm. And those are, I mean, those can be very gender strong stereotypes. Yes, yes. Anything else you want to say about 4-6 before I move on to you and other numbers? Yes. I think I wanted to say that we, um, I think he is very generous with me. And I think that has to do with his sixness mm-hmm. when he's in a really healthy place or some part of him that I really appreciate. That he does not understand my love of all things French. Uh-huh. And he does not understand the emotions that I feel all the time, and, and he never will. But he is very generous with me in making space to go out to a nice dinner yeah. that he would never pick to spend that money on. Mm-hmm. That he, food he would never choose to enjoy. Mm-hmm. When he would be happy with a hamburger from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And he knows that it matters to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why... Being with a six, for being with my six, mm-hmm. is such a gift to me. So that's such a good word right there, where you're saying, where you correct yourself from being with a six to being with my six. Mm-hmm. Because I think we sometimes make the mistake in Enneagram work of thinking, oh, I know this person really well, and he's a six, so I know sixes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no, you don't. Like, that is just not true. All right, talk to me a little bit about your way of being in the world. I'm saying this intentionally this way. Okay. Your way of being in the world with other numbers. Where is that challenging, and where is it kind of a walk in the park? Okay. When when we first went through your DVD curriculum, and you talk about stances, Mm -hmm. and I, that has changed the way that I relate to other people, because... As a four, I, th- I take things very personally. How people treat me, I take very personally. And I think I was offended by aggressive numbers or strongly withdrawing numbers for a very long time. And I think knowing stances has helped me understand that people, that it's not about me mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time, that people are not looking to offend by being aggressive. And I've also learned to appreciate my sister-in-law is a three. Mm-hmm. And I have it has changed the way that we communicate, at least on, on my end especially. If she asks me, you know, we share a babysitter. Mm-hmm. And so if she says to me, hey, next Saturday, would you like to use the sitter or can I use her? She's not looking for me to pander about and hem and haw and kind of figure out what is appropriate. Am I risking the relationship? Am I... Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay? Should I be ashamed of my answer? Um, I can just give her a straight answer. Yeah. Yes, I would like that. Yeah. And she can handle that. Yeah. 
And I feel a lot of freedom in not having to dance around what does she, what is she expecting of me and how honest am I allowed to be? Mm -hmm. Because she just wants the truth. So your family, this half of your family, Mm -hmm. is pretty Enneagram wise. Like y'all use Enneagram speak. You've all been studying it for a while with me and maybe before that, but for three years with me. How do you think that, so let's go through the numbers. Uh, your father-in-law's a three, your mother-in-law's a two, your sister-in-law is a three, three. she's married to a five, mm-hmm. you're a four, married to a six. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of withdrawing and a lot of aggressive and not a lot of dependent. Do you think your mother-in-law ends up ma- as a two managing, trying to keep everybody happy less because all of you know the Enneagram and you can keep each other kind of forgiven and free is my language. Mm -hmm. Does it help that way? So I didn't see her too much. I didn't know her well before she started studying Uh the Enneagram. Okay, so that's only... So I've mostly seen her Mm post-Enneagram. But I think there's a lot of freedom when we are together. There's not a lot of emotional charge because we know the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And so we can have conversations without being so offended so easily uh, that I don't, I don't think when I talk to other friends Mm -hmm. about their Mm -hmm. in-laws, they don't have quite quite so easy of a time in those relationships. And I'm very thankful to have stepped into a family where people are, are dealing with their stuff. There's a there's a lot more allowance for in laws with the Enneagram, isn't there? Oh like yeah. Before, you know, with our uh, my brothers in law, and okay, so as a parent, when you hear your daughters complaining about their husbands, and then you hear them complaining about their husbands, and they're a six, and they're a nine, and the daughters and the mother seems put it in its place instead of he doesn't love me or mm-hmm. he doesn't love our children or why is he present mm-hmm. or so the, you're right people are way less offended yes and they have they they have a place for it instead of being hurt by it yes and one of the things I think that happens with that is the old language is uh, they know just how to push my buttons oh yeah the new language is triggering that triggers <laughs> me that gets me going that. But I think that's all, and, and you know, I'm like, I love the Enneagram, but so y'all correct me, but I think that's cut in half by 50% when you know people's Enneagram number. Then the things they say that would have triggered you or pushed your buttons are put back on, that's how they see the world and that's how, that's who they are. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Right. right. And it, it changes the expectations when the whole family gets together also, I yes. think. When you, sh- when you show up, for a holiday and you can see you know how people are when they're in a good spot in their number when they're in an average to healthy range and then you walk in and someone's acting differently than normal instead of oh it's thanksgiving again and so and so it's gonna be like this it's man that's i wonder what happened that that's where they are today that they're it's compassion instead of judgment yes that's exactly what it is so i have to say that we uh, all of Joe and I have four children, and they all live in Dallas with their spouses, and all of our grandchildren are there. 
And holidays for us are a good time. And they're not perfect. They're, they're not right. perfect at all. Our holidays are not dreaded by anybody in our family, I don't think. And I hear holiday dread almost everywhere I go with people who don't know the Enneagram. I want to add a piece that's not about fours, but I don't know if it'll ever come back to me. <laughs> and then you might take off on that and okay. tell me how you hear it and what it would translate to in your life. Sure. Um, my father-in-law was not particularly happy that Joe left the priesthood and married me. and In fact, he was really unhappy about that. And it was heartbreaking for me until I learned the Enneagram. And my father-in-law was a three on the Enneagram, and he was a three who didn't know the Enneagram and who didn't have a, a lot of those kinds of tools on board. And knowing that cut the pain of him not approving of our marriage and not wanting me in half. Like it literally, as soon as I learned about threes and knew for sure that he was one, the pain level was cut in half. And I, I think if we could just model family better for our children mm -hmm. so they would do it better because that's all they've seen. Mm -hmm. That What they know is tolerance instead of judgment. What they know is, I, I hope Uncle Billy's okay instead of, what's wrong with Billy today? Yeah. That's life-changing. That, that's the stuff that changes the world. Yeah. I, I don't think we're going to change the world with a one big anything. Yeah. So what do you think is changing the world for your kids because you and Webb are walking the journey this way? So I think, um, so that, this is a little aside to that answer, but mm -hmm. um, we're here and you're here in Richmond with us right. this weekend and my whole group of in-laws just about is here as we always are for your conferences and I've sort of been in and out with my kids and, and that and coming in. Yesterday I got here in the afternoon, halfway through, people are settled. And I walked in and my in-laws are all at the table and there's a seat for me. Mm -hmm. Ah, it's so good. That gives me chill bumps because that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm the only four and, and they make space for me to be who I am. Because they know to. Right. 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 It, Ten years ago, I, I mean, I don't know what that would have looked like, but I'm so thankful that they know. Right. And, and a lot of families want to do the right, welcoming right. thing. Right, yes. And they don't know how much a chair at the table means. They have no idea. Yeah, yes. It's, it's so much about, it's so much about tools. Yeah. And I realized, too, that um, at the Enneagram, when I step in, to a group, uh -huh. I realized that I can't just sit back and judge them and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have to come into my mother-in-law's home knowing she's a two mm -hmm. and she's happy to do for me and wants to do for me. And I'm a doing repressed number. So I have a little bit of responsibility to say, I can't just ask of you endlessly. Mm -hmm. I have to step up and do yeah. as well. Yeah. So it keeps you from taking advantage of people. I never want to take advantage right. of her because she is so generous. And okay. twos and nines are easy to take advantage of. Right. Okay, what number do you struggle with? We talked about that a little bit. You talked a little bit about aggressive numbers. But yeah. is there a number that's really hard for you? And what happens inside of you that makes it hard? 
Right. I think um, uh, eights, eights can be a little difficult for me sometimes, mm-hmm. um, although I have a very dear friend who's an eight. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think it's an, when, when, when I feel overwhelmed with emotion and someone has no clue what that means, mm-hmm. um, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And there always was before I understood, right, sure. that it is as hard for you to bring up emotions as it is for me to be doing my staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we've we've talked a lot, because Laura and Joel are here with me, we've talked a lot about, in our time together, moving forward and what we're going to do and all that. And I, I'm thankful and intimidated by working with two young, aggressive numbers. Mm-hmm. And I said to her earlier, is it okay, like, do you have room for a little mush from me? And she said, I really don't right now. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. That conversation couldn't occur with people who don't know the Enneagram. Right. You wouldn't know to ask. Right. And you couldn't accommodate. We couldn't, you, as two and a four, yeah. we couldn't accommodate somebody saying, not right now. Is that okay? Right. But we expect people to accommodate our overfeelings right. all the time. It's right. a fascinating thing to me how different we are. Right. I find that I do best with people who are in helping professions. Mm-hmm. They kind of get me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're always my number, but it means we're all kind of headed in the same direction. We're on the same path. Mm-hmm. What relationships are hard for you? Relationships with doctors, lawyers, you know. Right. You know, my world is so inundated with other moms. Mm-hmm. And um, I... When I, when I see the moms who just look like they've got it all together, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their bag, their Mary Poppins bag with everything their kid might need, and they're on time to stuff, and their hair is done, and their makeup's done, mm-hmm. and their kid's hair is done, and their kids are dressed great. Um, like, I don't know how that happens. And so, <laughs> it's like, how'd you do that? How did you do all who that? Who helped you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's no place for vulnerability life just looks perfect and my life so isn't perfect Mm -hmm. and sometimes I so want it to be and then sometimes I so don't want it to be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um when I can't find an in to go deep with someone Mm -hmm. so that's not just with moms that's with a doctor who doesn't want to listen or Uh the person at the grocery store or I I mean I don't need to be friends with everybody Mm -hmm. but but I do find myself wanting to go deep and be real and I realize that's sort of a loaded word, probably. But um, if I... And that's why you're a four and not a two. Correct. Yeah, because I'm... And, and so this is such an important distinction between you and me. Because I do want to be friends with people. Like, I want a relationship mm-hmm. with those people. It doesn't have to be for a lifetime, but mm-hmm. I want it to be relational in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you want room to be you in the moment. Is that a fair way of saying that? Yes, and it took me a while to understand that because I thought what it was is I wanted to be liked and have a relationship. Uh-huh. But I want to be me and that be okay. Yeah. And that not just okay, like valued and admired. And so I expect that from others too. Yeah, I'm so sad to say that for a long time I I taught the traditional Enneagram teaching about fours of that they want to be special and they want to be unique. And I have, I'm changing that as fast as I can, too. They want to be known, and they want mm. to be heard. Yeah. And those are completely different things. 
and it changes because I'm changing that, it has a big effect on how people see fours. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I got to work with, I wish I'd known to say it that way all mm. along, but I didn't, and I do now, yeah. and I can work with that. And that resonates with me a lot more. Yeah. 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 Well, there's, it, you know, it's because you don't want to be special. You want to be known as you are, which right. isn't like everybody else. That's a completely different thing. Right. Completely different thing. Right. Uh, wh- what relationships are easiest for you? And what's your favorite relationship outside of your family? I think... Um, Sounds like the mom's group is an e- are easy relationships for you. Well, people who are willing to show me their stuff. There you go. That's it. Yeah. And I don't know what number. You know, I think that probably depends where people are in their lives. And, and it probably depends on number. But when people are re- willing to sort of pull back the curtain and mm-hmm. say, this is who I am, mm-hmm. take it or leave it, I'm like, yes. Yeah, you know, when we came into ministry in the Methodist Church 30 years ago, I was so excited because I thought Joe and I were joining this community of people who pull back the curtains and build these good, honest relationships with one another. And <laughs> ministry is just as competitive and just as, as any corporate structure yeah. is. Yeah. And I was so disappointed by that. What do you want people to know about your number that is not the norm? Like, mm-hmm. what's that thing where you never quite feel understood? Mm-hmm. I think that as a four, um, I think... People see fours as very fragile, and there's a lot of truth in that for me. I can be very fragile, but I feel like I have a lot of strength, and maybe it's not uh, a conventional strength, um, but I feel, and maybe it's emotional strength. Um, I can handle a lot, yeah, and it's not always in a way that's valued mm-hmm. on a resume. You know, it's interesting because people, like fours, see themselves as flawed in some way. Mm -hmm. And people pick that up Mm -hmm. as weakness. Mm -hmm. But fours turn that into strength as children. Mm -hmm. And they stand on it as strength. So you have gotten through a lot Mm -hmm. and you can get through a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, determination in fours that's not found as easily in other doing repressed numbers. Hmm. There's a there's just a lot there in fours, mm-hmm. I think. I think they're you and they are very strong. Yeah. I think the last thing that I want to say as we wrap up and then I'd love for you to respond is I really believe that it's true that there are fewer fours than other numbers. Mm-hmm. And my desire then is for force to speak up a little louder. Hmm. Is it hard for you to speak up, and what would make it easier? It is, it is hard for me to speak up, but not because I don't want to speak. I so want a voice. Um, I'm sort of jumping out of my seat a lot of the time, wanting to speak up and uh, questioning whether what I want to say actually adds anything. Um, is, act, is going to be more of a distraction, is going to be more about making it about me when it's not about me. There's a whole slew of, I, I think it's the shame piece. Yes. Um, that I'm 
I, I always feel too much and I always feel not enough. And, you know, I, I feel like there's so much I could bring to the table and then I'm so afraid that someone else could do it better. And that, um, so I think when I'm given the opportunity to step out or when, and it's not always even given the opportunity, it's choosing to take the opportunity mm-hmm. for myself, right? Then, and it's affirmed. The more fours I meet and connect with, the more, like, oh, yeah, that is really a, a thing. You know, mm-hmm. the more we talk and share with each other, the more I'm able to realize that that is, is some stuff I need to work through mm-hmm. and be able to speak, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That a lot of us do that and that just by me asking those questions is an indicator that I should keep my mouth shut. I'm yes. I sort of work around that. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I don't think I said that. You did great. Particularly, but um, so, so I have to sort of choose to put my hand up sometimes mm-hmm. because everything in me wants to put my hand up. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes ch- using discernment that, to yeah. let myself do that a little more. Okay, so I, I'm going to close with, uh, because I have such affection for you and Webb, I'm going to close with this piece of advice. Okay. You two are both hesitant to raise your hand. And you're both reticent to speak up. And so y'all are going to have to really call the other one to that. You're going to have to agree that you're going to really support one another in saying what you have to say, Mm -hmm. believing that you have the right to say it, Mm -hmm. and finding a place to stand while you do it. Mm -hmm. That's a gift that you can work on together and that you can give one another that would be really good for the world. I loved having you on the podcast. I love to be here. Thank you so very much. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information. And we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.